Chapter 1 of The Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 1 Wanted a Gentleman Correspondent. This is my farewell letter to you, Paul. Our intimacy must cease now and forever. I regret oh so much to give you up, but I dare not say more. I am to be married the coming week. Forget the past and forgive your Jersey friend. One parting kiss and your unknown correspondent will bid you a final adieu. Paul Thornton was twenty-one, a bright handsome young man, and the only son of a well-to-do merchant. In the little mountain town in which he was born and where he grew to his present interesting age, he was a social leader. He was fairly educated and was an intelligent, ambitious youth, far above the average. The Thorntons were known far and wide for their sobriety and thriftiness, and the family of which Paul was a conspicuous member was well and favourably known. David Thornton had engaged in mercantile pursuits early in life, and by careful business methods had succeeded in amassing considerable wealth, and was regarded as the leading businessman of that section of the country. The elder Thornton was proud of his boy, and lost no opportunity to encourage Paul's ambition to become a giant in the business world of that mountainous district. Thus it was that Paul speedily assumed the active management of the large store, including the post office. Princeton was one of those quaint old mountain towns which has the air and tone of the finished product. Just when it was built is not a matter of record, and the occasional addition of a new building was a matter of great importance among its inhabitants. No railway locomotives with their shrieking whistles and sooty columns of black smoke disturbed Princeton. No telegraphic instruments ticked to her people exciting news from the outside world. There were no strikes, no tramps, no new political apostles, no telephones, not even a local newspaper. The educational mill was a modest little building, containing one room, where 200 or more pupils were crowded together for instruction from one teacher. The electric light plant consisted of kerosene oil and tallow candles, and the fire department an unorganised bucket brigade. There were two important events in which Princetonites took an active interest each week, viz. The arrival of the mail carrier, who was the captain of a star route from a little town some 40 miles away, and the occasional landing of a small steamer at the wharf, the river being navigable for steamboats during certain seasons of the year. Aside from these two principal diversions, there was the usual protracted meeting and the singing school, both of which were considered genuine luxuries. The great men of the age from a Princeton standpoint were the school teacher, the singing master and the circuit rider, and they were respected as such. In matters social, the Princeton receptions were big dinner parties, the hostess and her daughters spending most of the day in a hot kitchen, the room permeated with the aroma of chicken and dumplings and pies and cakes. There was but one set, which included rich and poor, old and young. Whether it was a husking bee, a quilting party, or a social gathering, it was a free-for-all, without any social distinctions whatever. Young Thornton was a lion in Princeton society. He it was who, as buyer for his father's mercantile establishment, visited the city four times a year, and set the fashion for the young people of the town. In their ignorance of the general attractions and amusements of the more progressive towns, they were content and happy, and Paul continued to exercise his important position at the head of the procession of the great and only Princeton. His life so far was an uneventful one. 
Grief and worry and care were practically unknown to this young man whose future was painted in one grand scene of triumph and brilliancy. It was no wonder, therefore, that he was a more than welcome visitor at every home in the vicinity, and more than one mother of marriageable daughters had a pleased and patronising smile for Paul Thornton. The country post office is a great educator. In those days the name and address for sale genius was not in business, and publishers of magazines and other periodicals were compelled to send sample copies of their publications to the postmaster for distribution and introduction. In this way, Paul had access to every kind of literature. He read everything that reached the post office, and by this means became well informed upon all the current topics, and was the only fan de siècle inhabitant of sleepy old Princeton. Some seven years prior to the period of which we are now writing, young Thornton, at the age of 14, got hold of a sample copy of a matrimonial paper. It was an invitation to his young mind, and the allurements held out by young ladies, who wanted to correspond with some handsome young man, were deliciously inviting. He read every line in that matrimonial sheet. In the column devoted to the advertisements of young ladies, he was attracted by the following, young, lively, and full of fun, object, a good time. He couldn't resist the temptation to give it a whirl, this was something radically new and he was rapidly acquiring a taste for new-fangled things, innovations, something different from the time-worn monotonous customs of primitive Princeton and her fossilised population. Little did Paul think of the outcome of this step. He waited anxiously for a reply, not dreaming that this unknown correspondent was destined to play an important part in his future. While he became impatient awaiting an answer, he never lost hope, and refused to entertain the idea that she would not deign to write. He had not once taken into consideration the number of replies she would receive from that little advertisement. He reasoned that not a girl of his acquaintance but would jump at the chance to reply to a letter from Paul Thornton, and of course May Temple would answer. Day after day he hastily scanned the fresh arrival of letter packages, hoping to find one bearing a New Jersey postmark. Ten days went by, long wearisome days to Paul, before the expected missive put in an appearance. He was busy sorting an unusually large mail when a bulky square envelope came in view, bearing his name and address in a bold but elegant penmanship. He gave it one long pleased look and thrust it into an inside pocket. He was not surprised as he fully expected it, but its sudden receipt greatly affected his nerves, and with trembling hands and blushing cheeks he completed his task with unusual activity. When the rush of the patrons was partly over, he sat down and drew forth that first epistle from his unknown correspondent. He looked over it carefully, and apparently satisfied with the outside, broke the seal. He read as follows. My dear Paul. Gee whiz, she goes at it like one who had always known me, exclaimed the excited young man half aloud. Jenny Trimble and Addie Vaughan always say, dear sir. Do you know, my dear boy, continued the letter, that of eighty letters received to date, I have answered but three, and the first one to be sealed with a kiss and consigned to the destiny of the mailbox will be addressed to Mr. Paul Thornton. Eighty, mused Paul, his eyes dreamily wandering from the enchanted page to someone at the delivery window who was asking for his mail the third time. I don't like that, but let me finish. There is a charm about your letter that is peculiarly fascinating, and I am drawn to you with such force that resistance is impossible, he read, his eyes dancing and his face covered with blushes. That is more like it, he thought, again scanning the letter. Oh, but it was jolly, reading all those letters. And just think, each one sends me a kiss and not a few his photograph. By the way, you must join my picture gallery. I'll do it, broke in Paul. 
I would give a dollar to see her. I'm in love with her already. I wonder if she is going to write to all these fellows. I'll find out. I know she is a beauty. Any mail for us, Paul? cried a young lady at the window, breaking into his enthusiasm. Why, yes, I will look, Jenny, answered Paul, thoroughly unhinged for a moment, and handing the Belle of Princeton a letter and a couple of papers. Thank you, said Jenny, accepting the mail. Shall we see you at the party tonight? she asked, with her usual modest but telling smile. He assured her of his intention to be present, and after a few more words the young lady withdrew. She isn't a patchen by the side of May Temple, thought Paul as he glanced towards the retreating figure, and taking up the letter that was the cause of the unusual thought. May Temple was a charming writer. Her word pictures were captivating, and Paul may be pardoned for comparing her with his girl acquaintances, to the credit of the unknown from the East. Thus began a correspondence that was destined to continue for an age. Letters continued uninterruptedly for seven years, when Paul was the recipient of the few lines which the reader noticed at the head of this chapter. End of chapter 1. Recording by Julian Prattley.